Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We just finished up some summer songs, and happy first day of summer to you. We were talking off air a little bit about how in the area the past couple of years, we've not really had a spring, and we're getting one this spring. The weather's a little cooler, a lot more rain. And with the rain, we've been hearing a lot about flooding. One of the things that has always not bothered me but has been a concern is the level of flooding that occurs in many communities that we always hear about, like Valley Park or Arnold or you know, out in Eureka or down at the riverfront or across the river in some of those uh, communities. Matter of fact, in 93, that one community completely got wiped out and they moved the city up on top the hill, up on top actually of, of the ridge, I guess, uh, Valmire. They moved the city of Valmire completely off the river. When you think about flooding, I drove through Chesterfield Valley a lot earlier in my in my life and during the flood of 93 and I remember driving back through after the water had receded just enough it was just off the highway but it was still everywhere else and it was like driving I've never driven on the moon but I can imagine it was like <laughs> driving on the moon so or driving across Lake Pontchartrain yes in, in uh, New Orleans area Louisiana. Yes. have you ever done that yes I have that's kind of a That's eerie feeling eerie. isn't yes. it yes cuz you're like hmm where am i going to yeah. go in or case? when you go into the florida keys and you're on the the bridge right. highway and you kind of think yeah if something happens the bridge to nowhere i'm in the drink yeah you are in the drink and i don't have any uh, life preservers with me wow yeah that is true Chesterfield Valley was 10 feet underwater at the time in 93. And, oh, you know, the 500-year flood. Well, two years later. (laughs) That's right. You know, the 500-year flood came again. And uh, it did not get the Chesterfield Valley. But now you see all this development out there. And that used to be an area where water could go. The rivers would push themselves to certain areas and be able to expand. I note when I drive to Kansas City, there is an area out near Rocheport when you cross the Missouri River that has been designated as a wetlands. And when I crossed that, uh, oh, it was about three, four weeks ago, the river was way up. It was pushed out into the wetlands. So it wasn't forced into this channel. And there is a website that talks about this. They, matter of fact, they did an experiment. They were, I'm trying to think where this was. They were up in uh, Minnesota, University of Minnesota, I believe it was. And they developed a model of a river. And they said, this is what happens when a river floods and there are no levees. And obviously you see, you know, the water expand. And this is what happens when there's a levee on one side. And this is what happens when there's equal levees on both sides. And this is what happens when the levee on one side is higher than the levee on the other side. And it visually showed what was going on. It also showed the strength of the water had increased. The speed of the water increased. So you have all this water now flowing faster and you're shoving it downstream. Here's my point. My point is next week we're going to have David Stokes, the executive director of the Great Rivers Habitat Alliance on, and he's going to talk about flooding and levee management and how communities can just build a levee. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I always thought, well, this is the Army Corps of Engineers job, isn't it? Uh, shouldn't they be in charge of all these levees? Well, I found this very interesting. Here's, here's some statistics, okay? Uh, 22% of U.S. counties have levees. Levees are located throughout the country and are found in approximately 22% of U.S. counties. Damage from floods annually ranges from $5 billion to $10 billion annually. Okay, well, not this year. It's going to be a lot more. 
100,000 miles of levees exist. What? Yes, 100,000 miles of levees exist. But the federal government, through the Army Corps of Engineers, they've built less than 15,000 miles of these levees. So 85,000 miles of levees have been constructed, operated, and are maintained by local levee owners. I didn't realize that you could own a levee. Think of like the Chesterfield Valley. I'm using them because they're on my mind right now. The Monarch Levee District. It's called the Monarch Levee. It's maintained by the Monarch Association or Levee. Sounds like some people that came together and made a job for themselves. Well, they did, and they made this levee, so we're not going to flood area. We're going to shove the water down the road. This group I was talking to you about in Minnesota that ran this example, the very first thing that they show is Valley Park in Eureka. Really? And what's interesting is they said, yeah, Valley Park built this. Eureka flooded occasionally, and they showed pictures, but they said Valley Park doesn't flood anymore because they raised their levee. So now where's all that water go? It goes to Eureka. So when you've got these levees, and like you said, if you, you have one maybe that's higher that are lower or whatever, mm-hmm. and it forces this water, it actually then floods another community. Right. So shouldn't there be a greater connection between the different levees and the different communities? I mean, why would you want to intentionally flood another district, another well, that community? Would make, that would make too much sense, Ellie. Oh. And oh. I know the legislature in Missouri recently... They either passed a bill or were talking about a bill, but I read this in the paper the other day that Jefferson County, south of St. Louis County here, decided not to build a levee, but let the water flow into wetlands, into land where the water was going to go from the rivers, because they didn't want to do exactly what you said. They didn't want to shove it down stream to somebody to be somebody else's problem problem right exactly well can't these districts get together i mean kind of like road services infrastructure you know i mean it is horrible when you go when you think about when you go from one community to the other and you can tell when you've gone over the line because the streets become very very right right I, I, that's what I thought the Army Corps was set up to do, but Absolutely. apparently they're not. Well, what are they set up to do? Uh, what they do is there's federal requirements for a levy and to have a levy certified. So to have a levy certified, it has to meet the minimum flood protection. The requirements, you, they do not extend three feet higher than the base flood elevation. The base flood elevation is the level that water's anticipated to rise during a one-year flood. In other words, levees without three feet of freeboarding or free space do not meet federal requirements, and the structures behind them are considered to be in a flood zone. The river is going to rise at, say, 1,071 feet above sea level, and you are three feet above that, your levee is, then you're okay. But they're asking for a prediction from year to year. And that's going to change based upon rainfall. That's going to change based upon other communities that have built levees. And yes. now that causes yes. the, that flood level to rise. Yes. So uh, how often do they revisit that? Well, I'm, I don't know. That's very interesting. That's a, that's a really good question. Because what you said exactly, like if Valley Park's raising their levee, then they're sending it downriver and make, make the, the levees down there now not certifiable. Exactly. Now, how does that impact us here? Because when you think of the De Pere River, which is really very, very close to here, and when you think about all of the creeks, like I was making a joke about the creek that's right next to us that mm-hmm. breeds the mosquitoes. Well, that creek flows into Manche- Manchester, I mean, Brentwood Boulevard, mm-hmm. and then another creek is coming in the other direction, and they meet up there. 
it used to be that that area always flooded. Mm -hmm. And even today, when you see we have very big rainstorms, they put up barriers still in that one intersection right there at Marshall and Brentwood because they still expect that area to flood. And just south of the bi-state, building where they have yes. the buses that area is floodplain right and it's, it always was it's a wetland area because even here on this street here it used to be a floodplain mm-hmm. where the public utilities building mm-hmm. is that used to always flood always well but when you backfill so here's a story north of st louis there was an area that was in the floodplain and there was a group a casino group wanted to build a casino there. Well, they didn't get the contract. That contract went to the River City Casino down by the River De Pere, okay? Quietly, they've been dumping dirt into this area, and they've raised it now, and it is out of the floodplain. So now it's a land that we can develop. I wouldn't want to live on that. Oh, but it's above the water level because the water now is going to be somebody else's problem downstream. But if it's still that whole land, that landfill kind of situation, eventually there's going to be sedimentation, mm-hmm. and it can drop at any point. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw that out in San Francisco when they have a, a very expensive area in San Francisco that was basically built on landfill beautiful homes. When they had that big earthquake out there in the 70s, that was the first part of San Francisco that fell. Hmm. And all those million dollar homes were in the drink. Because they had not uh, probably really pressed it down. Pressed it down. And then any kind of movement, it breaks apart. Any kind of extra rain, it breaks apart. So how could you put a development up there on land that is not really earth? It's dirt, but it's not earth. Right. That's crazy. How do people get away with this? Well, it's just like how they get away with building levees and not really worrying about what else is downstream. You know, I think about Chesterfield Valley, but when you keep going down the river, you come to Maryland Heights. Well, what's in Maryland Heights? They want to develop all that floodplain area now. They know there's the Maryland Heights Airport out there. Right. There's uh, the Blues wanted to build a, it's out by Creefcourt Park, out, out that way. They wanted to build a facility out there. There's a casino out there. Whatever happened to environmental impact studies? Oh, well, I, I mean, they should, they should, the studies should, to me, what impact, that's the word we're looking at. Well, the impact is Earth City. The impact is, look at all these warehouses we have here. No. Isn't this a wonderful place? Look at look at all the jobs we're providing here. No, that's not the, that's oh. an economic impact, but so, that is not an environmental impact. I know that. So why does the confluence flood as as bad as it floods because of all this water shooting down from Chesterfield to Maryland Heights to Earth City, it's got to dump somewhere. Exactly, it dumps somewhere. That's why. So Alton wouldn't gets you look hammered. at the impact of it on the region? And I guess that's the question I have for David. And this is one of the things I think David is involved with at the Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. Oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be armed for bear with David when is he gets there here. There has to be <laughs> okay. some kind of larger oversight this is where i would love government to be involved yes you know because if you've got community a building a levy and downstream community b doesn't can't afford it they're going to get hammered or on two sides of the river well we're going to build our levy two feet higher and we'll be dry but you're going to get wet across the river exactly and so what you're doing is creating a situation where the people in neighborhood b that can't afford the levy their housing values just suddenly plummet because 
all the time, every year, they're going to be um, in the floodplain. They're going to get flooded. They're not going to be able to get FEMA flood insurance. What are they going to do well, every they'll year? they'll rebuild, and then they'll, they'll get flooded again, and then they'll rebuild and get flooded again and rebuild and get flooded again. Because it seems like, like if you're flooded once or twice, twice, you're done. Right. But if you can't sell your home. Right. Then you're out. I guess I, I guess what we do is in the wintertime, we just you know decide, well, what color do we want the living room to be next year, honey? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, because if, or, if you're looking at that every year. Or put the house up on stilts. Oh, that's ridiculous. I mean, cause these people all kinds of extra uh, expense just because the environmental impact study does not look at the entire region and say what is going to be the impact. Well, and that's something that we've talked about on the show is what are environmental and economic impacts, especially economic impacts on an entire region. Exactly. There's so many different impacts. It's like saying, well, we've got great schools down here, but we're not going to pay attention to the schools up north. Well, hello. You know, the region is impacted by education as a whole. A better educated populace makes for a better region, period. Say it. You know, so you can't just say, well, we've got great schools down here. We don't want to raise Texas. We don't want to do anything with the schools up there. We'll never be impacted. Oh, excuse me. Um, People don't just stay in one community. Right. The other thing. That's crazy. I'm outdone by this. The other thing the legislature did in Missouri was, at least I don't know that it's been signed maybe it has i haven't had a chance to check it out that you can't put a tiff in a flood zone area in other words they would tiff an area so you could do a chesterfield valley and build a levee and then you're not paying any taxes on it and people are just making off like bandits well that's not right let's develop areas that are undeveloped right now that aren't in floodplains how like north st louis there you go how about that that what a concept oh what a concept. So who's going to be on next week? I've got tons of questions. David Stokes. I'm going to be so let me read armed this. with questions for David Stokes. I'm going to read this statement to you. It says, who is responsible for building and maintaining levees? There is no entity solely responsible for levee construction and maintenance. Some levees were originally built by citizens to protect their properties from flooding. Others were built by various federal, state, or local entities. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has designed and constructed many of the nation's levees and is responsible for the maintenance of federally owned levees that are in that system. But not all the levees built by them are federally owned. However, in most instances, levy ownership has been transferred to the state or to another local or regional authority, which then becomes responsible for documenting and maintaining the levy. So as we talked earlier, you know, you could have a monarch levy district build a levy, like out in Chesterfield, and it may be certified, and they may transfer that to the state. There is no larger plan. And that's what I'm... and, and these We're going to kind talk of about positions, next week. they require people that have knowledge. You know, it's not like me to, you know, hey, I think I can run this. Uh, no. These are people that need to have engineering backgrounds, that need to understand that aspect of the business. So these are not people that are going to work for minimum wage you know, or just volunteer their oh, time. No. These are people that there needs to be some serious funding there just to make sure that these kinds of situations don't turn up to be just a disaster for the region as a whole. Well, it just takes one of these levees to break, like in Chesterfield Valley. That would be, can you imagine the billions of dollars that that would take to recover that area? 
And, and now, why we developed that area after the 93 flood is beyond me, even more. They should have, okay, I understand money's involved. It's all about money. It's all about the money. That's right. It's what it's about. If I can make money here in my area and shove the water down faster and harder, then that's your problem. And when you think about it, there are so many people, you know, as we age, first of all, there are going to be people who are not going to be able to sell their homes and move away and buy a new piece of property. And then for younger people, if they're deciding where they want to live after they've graduated from college, maybe done a first couple of years working somewhere, why would they choose this region? You would have to look at that and say, well, what are the problems here? And then we don't get new talent. We don't get corporations to say, well, I think I want to move to St. Louis and, and build and, and create jobs. That's not going to happen. I mean, I, I, we won't even be able to get a team that'll come here and be. <laughs> and this isn't just a citywide issue. This it's, is no. this is a statewide, this is a national issue. Absolutely. Because they have problems up in Nebraska. They have problems in Iowa. Everywhere there's a large city, you see all these levees. And you can go on a map and punch in your state and punch in your area, your county, and you can see the levees. You can see those that are certified, those that are not certified. I thought it was fascinating. But especially around all the major cities, there's all this red and blue. The red are certified levees, the blue are uncertified levees. And around St. Louis, it's just crazy. And as we look forward to, uh, and we know that climate change is fake, right? Yeah, that's what our government wants to tell us, right? Um, We're going to see more and more water. We're going to see more of it. I mean, even just this week I was reading, they were saying how Greenland is, the ice is melting at a much faster rate up in Greenland. So when we start to look at that, when we look at Antarctica and the ice level is not as thick, it's not as deep, you know, it's not as cold in these, these regions, the water is going to rise. There are islands that are, they're saying that within the next 20 years will no longer exist. The Marshall Islands being one of them. Mm. And people are trying to figure out what are we going to do? How do we save our homes? Do we save an island? Takes takes a, a thought process, some kind of master plan. A worldwide in, involving, plan. I hate to use the word stakeholders, but all the stakeholders. That's right, and that's everybody. That's everybody in the world so, has to stop and look at this. So for our area, this is kind of a was a, a primer for next week when we talk to David Stokes, who's the executive director of the Great Rivers Habitat Alliance. Oh my goodness, we really need to go back to some of the very basics yes. and figure out how to make these things happen so that they benefit the community. I'm just vexed when I think about the fact that you can build a levee and then create a problem for the next community and it'd be okay. Well, and why not be talking to them about that? Because they'll probably say, no, we don't want you to do that. Oh, Because no, now exact, we're going to have to exactly, do it. Exactly, exactly. We but don't you, have the money to spend. But you come together and you figure out how everyone benefits from it and so maybe you have a sharing of the expense that's why the state's getting more involved with this well it's so. about time it well. is well it is about time <laughs> it's, about it's time, time for a break, break. <laughs> right this is arnold stricker with ellie wharton of in tune you're listening to kwrh lp 92.9 fm your community radio station in west groves missouri